0: Hello and welcome to the Bridge City Church podcast. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church. or we'll come along to our Sunday service at 10am. We'd love to have a coffee and a chat. We hope you enjoy this week's message. See you at church. talk to you about possibly the greatest word in the Bible. It is possibly the most beautiful word in the Bible, and that is grace. It even sounds nice, doesn't it? Grace. Anybody here called grace? Have we got any graces in the room? Well, maybe. Your second name is grace. Wonderful. So your first name is God's. (laughs) Did that go over your head? God's grace. So uh, the, any, do we have any Polish people here? Because the Polish word for grace is wonderful. The Polish word is waska. I mean, what a wonderful, everybody say waska. If, if we ever get another dog, we're going to call him waska. You know, you know, it sounds a bit like that waskly wabbit, you know, waska. But what is grace? It is undoubtedly amazing It is abundant, it is uh, splendid, it is glorious, it is magnificent, and it's from God. One One of the titles for God is the God of all grace. But what is it? So now I've got 16 minutes to tell you. Are you ready? We're going on a little journey. We're going to stop. I want you to imagine we're driving through a town and we're going to stop at various places that will illustrate to us what grace is. The first place we stop at is the accountant's office. There's a sign outside, talks about tax returns, you know, 80 bucks, all that sort of stuff. Uh, When I walk in and sit down and he brings up my file, he says, Mr. Griffiths, you you have a serious problem. You are totally bankrupt. He showed me, he showed me all my debts. And then I realized that this was no ordinary accountant. This was heaven's auditor. And my account showed everything I'd done and said and thought, attitudes that I'd had, and and, uh, I realized that he was correct. I was spiritually bankrupt. I said, but what about my credits? What are those, he said. I said, well, well, uh, I was born in England. That has to count for something. And I live in Adelaide, Australia. That must count for something more. And, uh, you know, I haven't done anything bad. I've never killed anybody. You know, I haven't stolen from the bank. You know, and, and actually, I have not been booked for speeding for more than five years. My, my father was a pastor. I mean, there must be a place in heaven called Preacher's Kids Corner. I mean, these are good things. They, they must be for my credits, and the accountant said, None of those things count for anything at all. You have this huge debt and you have no assets. What are you going to do? I'm speechless. When into the room walks the man from Galilee, and he says to the accountant, There are two transactions I want you to, to do. First of all, I want you to transfer his debt to my account. Well, that was quite easy, just a few strokes on the keyboard, and all of my debts left, gone, forgotten, forgiven, over, concluded. Then he said, the second transaction is, I want you to transfer my righteousness to his account. A few more strokes on the keyboard, and suddenly m- my account, <laughs> the debts had been cleared, and now I've got this wonderful credit to my name the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what that is? That's grace. Oh, Jeremy, where is that in the Bible? Oh, thank you for asking me, because it's actually in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I'm going to read it, then we are all going to read it together. I'm going to read it with the emphasis that I want you to read it with. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him... We might become the righteousness of God. Are you ready? Just, just give a little cough. <coughs> just move your neck muscles so that you, you've got plenty of. Are you ready? Here we go. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become. The righteousness of God. Oh, I feel like throwing this up in the air. I would if I could guarantee I could catch it. (laughs) All debts paid. That's grace. From the accountant's office, just a little way down the street is the laundry. I walk in. And there at the counter is a lady, young woman, well-dressed, well-spoken. I think she must be a schoolteacher. And that's exactly what she is. She's holding a beautiful white woolen coat. What's the, what's the best sort of wool? Kashmir. Very good how you didn't move your mouth in and, <laughs> and I heard this, this voice. Cashmere wool. Beautiful. She said, this is my prized possession. But somehow... She said, one of those miserable students must have left some ink on my seat. She turned the the coat to the back, and there in the middle of her back was this large, deep blue stain. She said, I googled this. I googled removing ink stains from cashmere wool, and I did everything that it said I should do, and all it did was make it worse. So, Mr. Laundryman, I I want you to do whatever you can to remove the stain. Next time I come, seven days' time, I I don't want to see that stain. Do whatever it takes. Seven seven days later, the the young woman returns. She says to the laundryman, how did you get on? He said, well, you asked me to remove the stain, and I've succeeded. He brought out what well, they've got those little, you know, whatever they are, you know, hanger things that she pulls down. He pulls down this beautiful cashmere coat, dark blue. She said, "That's not my coat. I assure you, it is. The coat I brought here was beautifully white, but the lady you asked me." Um, do whatever I can to remove the stain. We tried everything known to man to remove the stain and it only made it worse. So we decided to dye it the same color. (laughs) You can't see it anymore. Do you know that that is humanity's response to sin? Because the stain of sin is immovable from our lives. And so what do we do? Well, well, we we don't call stealing, stealing. Let's change the word. It is now misappropriation. And uh, a perverse lifestyle is no more, you, you know, no, it is, you know, lifestyle choices. And we think that if we make the coat the same color as the stain, nobody will see it. But the coat was ruined. When into the laundry walks the man from Galilee. He touches the coat. And according to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, whoever is in Christ are brand new people. Everything old is made new and the coat is totally cleansed from the dye and from the stain because this is what it says in 1 John 1:7 1, we're going to read it together in a moment but let me let me read it for the emphasis the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin come on read it together with me are you ready the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin we went to the accountant's office where all debts were paid grace we're now in the laundry and discover that all stains are removed let me tell you that sin will always stain your life and nothing that you can do and no human effort can ever remove the stain But the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. All, big, little, seen, unseen, inherited, done by a willful choice. Doesn't matter how you describe the sin, whether it's falling short, whether it's crossing the line, whether it's this inward bias, just let me tell you today that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and that is grace. Our next stop is the courtroom. It's a magnificent building. The architecture is amazing. It's not the Supreme Court in Canberra. It's not the, uh, that, that court in La Hague, you know, the International Court of Justice. This is actually heaven's courtroom. There, there is a balcony That I reckon every human that's ever lived, there's room for them. And they're watching spectators. There's a prosecutor's table. There's the defense table. There is the dock where the prisoner stands. And to my horror, I stand there. I'm on trial. There is a judge's bench that is more like a throne. When the clerk of the court then... (laughs) All rise, and into the courtroom comes God Almighty, the judge of all the earth. He takes his seat. The, the, the audience sits. He says to the prosecutor, are you ready? And the prosecutor says, yes, all, all my witnesses are here. He looks to the, <laughs> the, the defense table, nobody there. The de- Even as he looks at the defense counsel, into the courtroom comes the man from Galilee. I realize that my defender is the Lord Jesus Christ. I haven't got time to tell you the whole story. The prosecutor calls his first witness, who slithers into the court. He's the accuser of the brothers. You know what his name? Lucifer Satan. You know what, whatever it is. And instantly my defense says, Your Honor, that one cannot tell the truth. He is the father of lies. Even when he quotes the Bible, he misquotes it. Nothing that he says today is of any value. The judge agreed with my defense and said one word, go. And he was dismissed. The prosecutor was disappointed, uh, but but don't worry, there are plenty more. uh, And he starts calling witnesses All of whom I know, they're my friends, some of them my family, my neighbors, work colleagues, people that I'd had dealings with all of my life, who I knew I had let down, disappointed. I knew that some of them would tell them the cord, my failings. And I thought, well, if if they start revealing my history, I'm in trouble But even as he reads out the names, my defense counsel stands and says this, the one without sin should cast the first stone. And one by one, they left. The prosecutor, he's now down to his last witness, and he says, I call Jeremy Griffiths to the stand. And with fearing steps, I... I make my way to the, uh, the witness box. I realize that if I'm examined, my words and my thoughts and my deeds and my actions and my attitudes would condemn me. But even as I make my way to the witness box, my defense counsel stands, comes, follows me and stands behind me. And then I notice he has this magnificent robe. And he wraps it around me. And I'm covered by his righteousness. (laughs) There isn't time for me to tell you the people that spoke for my defense. The Holy Spirit, my very best friend. The blood of the Lamb, which speaks better things than the blood of Abel. (laughs) The word of God with all its promises. And then my defense counsel calls the judge and says, Your Honor, I now ask you to speak on his behalf. And when the father saw him a great way off, he came running to meet him, wrapped his arms around him, (laughs) kissed him said, bring the best robe, put him on, but put shoes on his feet, a ring on his finger, because my son who was dead is alive, the one who was lost is found. And then the judge brought down his gavel and said these words out of Romans 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus there is therefore, when? Now. Now. Right here and now. How much? What's that mean? It means nil. It means zero. It means zilch. There is not one shred of condemnation that can be laid against him because he is in Christ Jesus. Come on, we need to read this again. Are you ready? Here we go. Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. (laughs) All debts paid, all stains removed, all accusations silenced, answered. I I got a bad feeling about the time. I'm okay. Thank you. I think you're okay too. Did I ever tell you you're my hero? Here we go. Two places to go. Say hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. The landing sign's on. Fourth place is the prison cell. Familiar place for you. <laughs> it's a dark, damp, dank dungeon. How'd you like the alliteration? Dark, damp, dank dungeon. I have to slow myself down to say that. And there I sit, fast bound in iron chains. That came from a Hillsong song. I came upon a prison ship, bowed down by iron chains. Is that Hillsong? I am, you are, we are, that's what it is. Isn't that Hill Hillsong? <laughs> Seekers, okay. It's a prison, listen to, me, listen to me very carefully. It is a prison not of sin, but of religious deeds. It's a prison house of religion. The prison house of religion says, you've got to do something to earn your salvation. You've got to do something to remove the stain. You've got to do something to pay your debts. What must I do to be saved was the man's question. What have I got to do? Do you have a, a pet shop in Murray Bridge? Is there a little pet shop? Do, do they sell mice? Anybody see? They sell them in little glass aquarium things, and they'll put the mice in there, and they'll put this little wheel. You know, I don't know how to describe it. How would, is it a wheel? it a wheel? And the little mouse jumps on and he starts to run and he runs 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 and he he never seems to get tired. And how far does he get? Nowhere. That is the treadmill of religious works. Pulling ourselves up to God. Making ourselves worthy of his grace. But if we can be worthy of his grace, grace isn't grace. Because grace is for the unworthy. Anybody unworthy here today? (laughs) Let me put both hands up. That's me. Anybody in debt, anybody with stains, anybody, you know, condemned. That's all of us. And we think that if there's something I can do, if I can be baptized, and this water wasn't the right water, i got to go to another church, and I, I want to be prayed for from, uh, with oil from the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and I, I, I want to touch the hair, uh, maybe there's a robe I could, hey, listen, get off the treadmill of religious works. Because here is an amazing verse. This is Galatians 2 and verse 16. We are all familiar with John three sixteen, but this verse is actually more powerful. I'm going to read it, and on your right hand, I want you to count how many times Paul says, by faith in Christ. And in your left hand, how many times he says, not by the works of the law. Can you do that? Right hand, Jesus, second hand, law. Here we go. This is what it says. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We should say, wow. Have you ever read that verse? You probably read it, but you never read it like we just read it. So so how many times does it say, by faith in Christ? Three times. How many times does it say, not by the works of the law? Three. It is amazing how many Christians are stuck on a treadmill of religious works that think if I'm good enough, maybe God will let me into heaven. He'll let us into heaven because the debt's been paid, because the stain's been removed, because the judge says there's no condemnation, and we need to break the, the religious treadmill. Uh, it's a prison house of religion. Listen to me carefully. Maybe if you've come from a, uh, maybe a Catholic background, this verse is for you i got to pray to Mary, got to do this, got to do that, got to pray to the saints, all that sort of stuff. Here's the wonderful news, grace, all chains have been broken. Yes. Quickly, we go to the final place. It's a palace. Oh, magnificent palace. We, we've been to the accountants, the laundry, the, the courtroom, the, um, the, the prison. Now we're in the palace. No ordinary palace. This is Jerusalem's palace. David is king. He's been king for maybe 15 years. And he remembers a covenant that he had made with Jonathan. When it was unknown whether Jonathan would follow Saul or whether David would take the kingdom. And the two young men agreed, whoever's king, let's agree that we will care for our family. Because in brutal civil wars, Families are destroyed. David says, is there anybody left of the household of Jonathan? And an advisor says, uh, yes, there is. There's a man called Mephibosheth. Uh, He's no threat to your king. He won't raise a rebellion. You know, he's not going to come and steal your crown. He's actually living in Lodabar. Where on earth is Lodabar? It's over the border, close to Melbourne. It's the, it's the boondocks. It's the back of beyond. It's a nowhere place because this man has lost his family. He's lost his home. He's lost his land. He's lost his inheritance. It's all gone. He's no th- oh, by the way, King, he has a serious problem. All of his life, he's been a cripple. He's no threat. Bring him to me. Can can you hear the thunder of the hooves as uh, the horses and the soldiers pound their way into Lodabar? Where's Mephibosheth? When you're a cripple, you can't run. In a small town, you can't hide. And the soldiers arrest him, drag him before David. (laughs) And this this is what the Bible says. Mephibosheth says, what does the king want? with a dead dog like me. Oh, said uh, David, there's a covenant and you are included. This day, all of your family lands are restored to you and your home and your, your house and, and your building and quite clearly you could never farm it so that man there who used to work for your grandfather saw he will now be your farm manager along with his sons and all their servants. If you count them, 36 people will work for this man. Your days of poverty are over. And you are one skinny dude. You haven't eaten a good meal in years. So from this day forward, you will sit at my table and eat my food. The covenant. Even though Mephibosheth was not aware of the covenant, that day he discovered his name was included. Here's the wonderful news of the gospel. When we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, we discover there is a covenant that was established 2,000 years ago, and we are included. What covenant is that, Jeremy? Oh, we celebrated it a few minutes ago. By the way, that was a fantastic, that was a great communion message. Good content, good voice, clear. it was really good. But you bless me. The body and the blood is the covenant. And in the covenant, <laughs> rebels become royalty. People in poverty discover their riches and the, and the wealth that they have. And every position is reversed. And this is what it says in John 5 24. This is Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth. He is the man, he is the one who is truth, saying what I'm telling you is really true. And that is whoever hears my word and believes him that sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has. What's happened? Crossed over. We should write a song. Here's a song for you. No more living in Lodabar. (laughs) That's the only only line I've got, so you'll have to write the rest. We've crossed over. We're not living in Lodabar. We're sitting in the king's palace. We're not living in poverty. Everything we need is provided. We're no longer wondering where our next meal will come from. We're sitting at the king's table. We have crossed over from what? Look, look what it says. From what? Because Lodibar is death. It's a slow, dying death. We've crossed over from death to life. That's grace. All positions reversed. Thank you for your overwhelming response. We're going to read it together. Are you ready? I tell you the truth whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has crossed over. From death to life. That is your memory verse for the week. Next Sunday, come to church. Go to Pastor Robin and say, here's the memory verse. John 5, 24. You will get a vanilla slice. (laughs) The few that are left after I visited the table. Show me the last statement, please. Grace. All debts paid all stains cleansed, all accusations silenced, all chains broken, all positions reversed. No wonder we sing, amazing grace, amazing grace. Uh, Would you stand please? I want you to put your hands in front of you like this. Lord, today we receive your grace. Grace upon grace is your promise. You give more grace. So, Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you that the debt of our sin has been paid. We come with empty hands. We offer nothing but ourselves. The debt's paid. We thank you, Lord, that you have washed our lives and cleansed us from the stain of sin. Lord, nothing else could remove but the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in heaven's courtroom, the judge of all the earth has declared that we are righteous in Christ. I want you to look at me for a moment. Put your hand over your heart. Lord, I break off every one of us today the condemnation of the enemy that says to us, I know what you've done. I know what you've said. God's going to judge you. He's going to send you to hell. You're not going to make it to heaven. I want to speak over your life today that there is therefore now no condemnation. I release you from the burden of guilt and the shame and the condemnation that I break it off your life. Look at me, look at me. Put your hand over your heart. I break it off my life. Come on, do that. I break it off my life in the name of Jesus. No condemnation. Not because of us, because of him. Lord, free us from the treadmill of religious works. Release us from thinking that if I do more stuff, then somehow I'll qualify for him. It's not by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. And so, Lord, no more living in Lodabar. No more on the fringe of the kingdom. No more thinking, will I make it? There's a covenant. Our name is included. And everything in the palace is ours. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Uh, What do I need to tell you? We're going to start the next session at 12. You said anybody could come. I'm going to speak on what do you do in the delay? You ever notice that there's a delay between the promise and the fulfillment? The prophecy and the uh, reality of that? Anybody? Okay, this is just for you. When you're you're going through a tunnel, keep going. If you're in a valley, don't park there. Keep going. But how do you get out of it? How does a church move forward? So that's at 12 o'clock. Between now and then, we're going to buy all the books on the table and eat every vanilla slice. Is it that way? Is the vanilla? I can smell them. Okay, uh, am, I, am I all right? Okay. Now, what, what was your theme about communion? Getting your hallelujah back. Say it again. Getting your hallelujah back. Okay. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to say hallelujah three times. This is what they do in Korea, so there you go. Got to be good. <laughs> we're going to whisper it. Hallelujah. We're going to speak it. Hallelujah. Guess what we're going to do next? We're going to shout it. Hallelujah. We're going to terrify all the kids. Where are the kids? Over that way? It's going to be so loud, it will curdle the custard. So so we're going to whisper it. And then we're going to speak it. And then we're going to shout it. Are you ready? Are you ready? Oh, by the way, church should be fun. Joy is the most attractive thing about Christianity. It's the most attractive thing about worship. And it should be the most attractive thing about fellowship. So be happy. Be happy because I finished. <laughs> We're going to stand. Are you, are you ready? You might want to stand on the seats. Okay. Whisper, speak, shout. Here we go. Hallelujah. 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 Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with all our latest sermons. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church. We'll come along to our Sunday service at 10 a.m.